This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Welcome. We are in the last week of a series that we've called Plot Twist. Just to kind of give you a, a roadmap so you'll know where we're going. Uh, next week, we start a, a brand new series called Legacy. And really, we're asking the question, how can we build a life right now that we would like to leave behind? Right? How, how could we build a life? What would a life look like if we built our lives right now to be the kind of life that we would want to ultimately leave behind? Because the truth is we're all going to leave behind a legacy at some point. And none of us would go into the endeavor of, uh, you know, a major, major deal like building a, a house or starting a business without some kind of blueprint. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend four weeks looking at what God would tell us that we need to do to kind of a plan for our lives as we build a life that will leave behind the kind of legacy that God would want us to leave. Now, we over the last uh, three weeks, have looked at plot twists. And really the idea behind that is that life looks a lot like a story. And we've looked through some different components of that. The first week we looked at uh, what it takes to experience a plot twist in our families. And we encouraged you to put Jesus at the center of your family because when Jesus becomes the center of your family, everything changes. Even driving down the street in the car, all of a sudden there's purpose and meaning to everything because Jesus is at the center of every moment. And then we looked at our faith and how many of us have done things in the past to uh, kind of fuel our relationship with God, and after a while, they can just be things that we do. They no longer fuel a relationship with God, and so we need to constantly be invited by God into new legs of the journey, and faith is always that invitation to take the next step to begin the next journey, and last week, we looked at how God can change our finances if we would put Him first. And we can experience, if we will embrace the principle of the first, that what we do first matters because it impacts everything that happens after that. If we'll embrace that principle, that somehow God begins to rewrite the story. Now, this week we're going to look at how God wants to be a plot twist in our future. This whole series was kind of built off of this one statement that life looks a lot like a story when jesus intersects our story everything changes and over this uh last few weeks i've told you some some commonalities between life and story right many of us in life we want nothing more than just to be comfortable we want a comfortable bed a comfortable recliner we want to eat some good comfort food today when we get out of here we just want to be comfortable but good stories are not written out of comfort they're written out of great conflict. And, and so we need to embrace conflict as an invitation, really, into a new story. And I told you that every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Every story does. And I think that's probably the most hopeful thing that I've told you. Because if you're sitting here today, your story is not over. And I don't care what the circumstances look like, I don't care what you think, and, and when you play out 
the scenario as it goes forward. I don't care what you think you would write the story to look like. With God writing the story, we never know what the end is going to look like. There is always hope. And as we sit here, we're in the middle of the story. As a matter of fact, you could probably attach these words that there's a past, a present, and a future when it comes to our stories, right? And we're in the present right now. Which means we're not in the past, but we're not yet to the future. And last week I asked you uh, some questions, and it helped reveal kind of what the common story looked like, that, that many of us wanted more of everything. We wanted more money, right? We wanted more time. Stuff that we could never really even give ourselves more of, or things that only God can give us. And we all said this living with way more stress than I want to, than I think I should, than I think I can live with. That's a typical story. You know what happens at the end of a typical story? You get the typical ending. What does a typical marriage look like when it ends? Well, it ends not the way we want it to far short of the goal of a lifetime of commitment and love, right? What does a typical financial statement look like? Way more debt than we can actually afford. See, if we want a different story, we're going to have to allow God to take us outside of typical. Because I don't think that the typical future is what a typical person in this room wants. I think we want to allow Jesus to intersect our stories and let him become a plot twist in our future. Today what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three keys that will help unlock the future that God wants to give you. Three keys to help unlock the future that God wants to give you. And the first one is that our stories need an anchor. Our stories need an anchor. There is probably no greater example of a plot twist in all of Scripture than Moses. Now Moses was born literally at a moment when Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has ordered the slaughter of all newborn males. And so to save him, his mother built a little infant raft, dropped him in it, put him in the river so he could live. Not knowing what could happen, just knowing if she kept him, there was no way that he could live. And it just so happens that at the same time, downriver, Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. And she would pick him up, take him home, and make him her child. So the first part of Moses' life, he grows up in a palace as an adopted child of the king. But later he learns who he really is that he's the son of a slave. And he goes out and he witnesses an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And he becomes so angry that he murders the slave master. And I know that there are plenty of us in the room that have done bad stuff before. And there are labels that someone might want to stick on us because of that stuff. Liar, cheat. But there's probably not in the anybody in the room that has murderer attached to them. But that's who Moses was. So to escape punishment, 
Moses runs away. Doesn't face his family. Doesn't face the situation. He just runs. He runs into the desert. Becomes a, a part of a tribe of people that are shepherds and ranchers. Gets married. And really, if you're writing the story, that's how the story should go. Gets married, has some kids, lives out all his days as a shepherd peacefully in the middle of the desert. But that's not how the story ends. God intersects Moses' story in the most peculiar of ways by visiting him in the form of a burning bush. Now, with all of the things that, like, it takes, like, big, huge neon signs to get our attention, right? Not Moses. Moses noticed the bush that was burning, but it was not being consumed. And in that bush, Moses met God. And God said this to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. Look, The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Lead my people. You that ran away, you that were so scared, I want to send you back to what you're afraid of. I don't know if any of y'all are Scared of haunted houses. Anybody scared of haunted house? All right. The other day I saw this, this is totally off topic, but I saw this video of a, it's a YouTube video of a haunted house in Southern California. It takes four hours to go through it. it costs hundreds of dollars to do that. And they only do four people a day, right? Scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. I wouldn't go through that. And, and with, with any amount of money, I would not go through that thing. And that's where Moses is. He's at that moment where he's afraid of something. He's, he's literally sacrificed his life to run away from Egypt. And God says, no, you're going back. You're going to go back, and I'm going to send you back. So as you can imagine, Moses protested. And in Exodus 3, beginning in verse 13, this is the conversation. Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me. That's one of the most peculiar responses that I could have ever imagined God dropping. Why? We, we know all throughout the Bible that God has named himself several different things. Why, why wouldn't he say that, yeah, my name is Jehovah? Right. Why, why wouldn't he drop the names that are attached throughout the Bible? See, there's something in that moment that's important for us. See, God says, I am. I am is the present verb of the present tense of the verb to be. It's not I was, it's not I'm going to be. I am. Right now, present. And I've always been present. And I'm never going to not be present. As a matter of fact, I exist out of the continuum that would make me I was or I am going to be. I just am. 
that's important for us to know about God. Because I don't know what situation you're in right now. But God isn't in that situation with you. Now, He is by the power of His Spirit here. But He's not limited to your knowledge. He's not just looking at your current situations. And so when God leverages instruction for us, it's not like, all right, based on the current data that I have and looking at the situation, this is what's best. No. See, God sees the end of the story. He is. He exists outside of time. And so when he tells us what's best, it's knowing full and well We need that because for now, we're trapped in a I was, I am, I am going to be situation. We need the anchor of someone who doesn't, who isn't confined to our circumstances. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in Hebrews 6. as he was talking about God, his nature, and the hope that we have in our lives. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie, to change, to be different. God is, I am. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. The hope, this hope, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And we who are trapped in moments that have insecurity built into them because we are so limited in our knowledge, need the anchor of a God that exists outside, a God who is I am. So the first key is to, that our stories need that anchor. The second key is this. Let your ultimate goal and your supreme satisfaction be Jesus. Let Jesus be your ultimate goal and supreme satisfaction. Now, in America, just like every other part of the world, as our ideals have grown, as our country has um, developed, there, it's quite easy for countries to take things that they have adopted and made their mantras to flip-flop them over and to start to assume that they're Scripture. The Declaration of Independence, 1776, penned, said, that all men were endowed with certain inalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so many of us have let that statement flip-flop over into the dialogue of Scripture, and it's leveraged an impossible goal behind serving Jesus. That if I choose to follow God, I'll be happy. And the Bible never promises you that. Not once. It does promise you joy. Joy is not the same as being happy. A few weeks ago, we spent time walking through Psalm 103, where the Bible lists out 
the benefits of a relationship with Jesus. One of those is not happy, but it does tell us that we will be satisfied. That Jesus can be satisfying to our souls. That we can experience something in Him that is outside the confines of happiness. That is not limited to the moment of happiness. That we can experience divine satisfaction. John 16, Jesus made a statement that alludes to that. John 16, 32. The time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When you will be scattered, each going his own way, leaving me alone. I love that moment because Jesus is essentially saying, up until this moment, disciples, we've all been writing the same story. What's about to happen is God's going to send you out and you're going to start writing your own. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. For here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. You will have many trials and sorrows. The men that Jesus was addressing, as he was speaking to them, they did not know the end of the story, but every one of those men would be executed because they carried that message forward. Everyone except the Apostle John, of which they tried to execute multiple times, but God spared him. You see, in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of sadness, when we have made Jesus our ultimate goal and supreme satisfaction, we can find peace. We can experience a satisfaction that resonates in our soul. I don't think that story is more exemplified in, in the entirety of history better than in the life of Horatio Spafford, who wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, that we sang this morning. Watch this story with me. Horatio Spafford was a man familiar with death and tragedy. The Spaffords were grieving over the death of their first son to scarlet fever when the great Chicago fire of 1971 decimated the city. Horatio, a successful lawyer and real estate investor, lost everything. After the fire, Horatio and his wife Anna were attempting to pick up the pieces when a good friend, the great evangelist preacher, D.L. Moody encouraged him to take a much-needed vacation. Moody was doing a preaching stint in England and invited the Spafford family to join him. Horatio had some business to attend to, so he decided to send his wife and daughters ahead, planning to meet up with them shortly. En route, the Spafford ship collided with an iron sailing vessel and all four daughters drowned. Hannah was one of only a handful of survivors. Horatio immediately departed for England to rejoin his devastated wife. When the ship's captain told him that they were passing over the scene of the accident, he retired to his cabin. Overcome with sorrow, he wrote, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul.
These words were eventually set to music and became the great hymn of the same name, It Is Well With My Soul. However, the story did not stop there. A few years later, Horatio and Anna had two more children, a son and a daughter. But this son also contracted scarlet fever and died at just four years old. Horatio's life was marked by persistent tragedy and death. In the course of his life, he lost business and real estate and saw the death of six of his eight children. However, he did not surrender himself to anger, sorrow, and despair. Though he wrestled with these things, to be sure, instead, he defiantly declared his hope and trust in his sovereign Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Echoing the words of Paul, he learned to be content in any situation, even death and loss. Ultimately, the Spaffords turned their grief into mercy ministry, founding a small community of believers in Jerusalem, working to aid the poor and needy in the early days of World War I. Horatio's great song challenges us to fight for joy in the midst of tragedy and death, to defiantly declare that in Jesus, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio received a telegram from his wife, Hannah. It said, survived, stop, alone, stop. And as the video told you, when the ship that he boarded to go be with his grieving wife passed near the place where his four daughters had drowned, the captain of the ship let him know and he went into his cabin and penned the words to it is well with my soul and peace like a river attends my way and when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot you have taught me to say it is well with my soul Those words may ring no truer than they do in Philippians 4, where the Apostle Paul, who was imprisoned as he wrote these in a cell that was about six foot by six foot and only about four and a half foot tall, he could not stand up in this fully, wrote these words, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When the ultimate goal and satisfaction of our life becomes Jesus, Everything changes. And the third key to unlocking the future that God would want to give you is allow your life to flow from a new heart. Allow your life to flow from a new heart. Now, 
many of us have experienced the transformation that following Jesus leverages for us. We've been through that. Now, I, I don't think that the words ever in Scripture maybe exemplify that more than what God promises to us in Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, the Bible says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. Because the Bible makes it clear that what's happening in our hearts is deeply connected to what our life is. That's why Proverbs 3 says that we need to guard our hearts because out of our heart flows life. And in this passage, the Bible tells us that there's two different kinds of hearts. There's a a stubborn, rocky, difficult heart. There's a new, sensitive, responsive heart. Now, every week during this series, we've taken time to highlight Stories from within our church. We're going to do that today. Would you watch this with me? Oh, growing up in Norway, my, my dream was to, to be a teacher and a coach at South Stanley. And that's, uh, that's what I ended up doing. You know, life could not work out any better for me as far as that's concerned. So uh, I was at Baden and we were having PE and I, I normally play with my kids. And I found myself standing around doing nothing. My, my classroom was at the top of the gym. I had stairs going up and down every day. And it got to where I couldn't make it. And all the things that you know, transpired after that was I spent, had an operation, went home to replace, they replaced the valve. And then, uh, I was in a hospital for 99 days. Uh, six weeks of them, which was that was in a induced coma, uh, because they, my body was shutting down. And uh, so it was Sunday afternoon. We were sitting around and watching TV, and they called and said, "Mr. Duke, I think we've got you a heart." So uh, my wife Sheila, she uh, she immediately goes in the back, and I wait and said, "Honey, we we, we need to get going." She said, "Well." I'll, I'm changing it. By the way, they didn't tell you what to wear to a heart transplant. Okay, you know, you know. So we started out there. And she said, "Pull over here at McDonald's." I'm getting a heart. <laughs> you know. She said, "Well, I'm hungry." All right. So we stopped at McDonald's, picked up some. So we had a heart transplant on a Sunday night. It went on into Monday, and I was in the hospital maybe a week. Easiest thing I'd ever gone through. Well, you know, I'll go back to a sermon that you had one time. And you made the statement that, you know, God doesn't want us, He didn't say about us being happy, He wanted us to be holy. Um, and that, you know, I've gone to church all my life, grew up in the church. Uh, and, but, but the issue of holiness really sank in the last few years after the, the transplant when we were making the transition. Uh, from a Baptist church 
that we were attending to Vortex. Um, it made me appreciative of things, particularly the moment. But before we left uh, the young man's heart, I got um, his sister. She, she was probably 28, 29. She came to me, she said, do you mind if I touch your chest? I said, well, no. So she came and laid her hand on my chest. She said, I just want to feel his heart still. I just want to hear him again and feel him again. Uh, that was a moment that I took from that as to, you know, they were, they were trying to be healed from it themselves. And that was their way of, uh, of doing so. That's basically uh, the biggest event in my life that's, that caused a, a major plot twist. Because a lot of things happened after that that uh, were extremely positive in my life and in my family's lives. Gave me more time with my family than I may not have had because I was, I was really sinking before the heart came away. Um, um, my life, quality of life is bad. Um, Sheila and I have grown closer. Um, I got to see both my boys get married. And, and start, you know, their new careers and their lives. That is what I took Hello folks, my name is Perry Duke. I've been coming to Vortex about two years now. And Jesus Christ has been my Vortex. There's a, a tension that's present in Perry's story that I think we all understand. It's really present there in that passage out of Ezekiel that God wants to give us a new heart. I think that there's a passage out of Romans 7 that we maybe could identify with. Romans 7.15 says this. I don't really understand myself. How many of y'all feel about that way about yourself sometimes? I don't understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I feel like this is the passage out of the whole Bible that I could write, you know. This is the statements that I can make as the Apostle Paul is talking about that tension between living with a new heart and living out of an old heart. And I, I see it as he begins in verse 19. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin living in me that does it. You see, we were all born with a heart that was filled with disease. Destined for failure. And that disease is sin. And God wants to give you a new heart, to live out of that new heart so that we can experience Him with that new heart, that out of that new heart, life would flow. And we see hope as he kind of ends this discourse beginning in verse 22. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. That power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. 
Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Who is going to set me free from a life that flows out of a sinful heart? It's Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself would say in John 8, 32, that if you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. Later in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you know him, You experience the freedom to be released from living a life that flows out of that old, stubborn heart to living a life that flows out of a new heart. And if we're going to experience the future that God wants to give us, we need to do it with our stories anchored in the great I Am. We need to do it with an object of our lives. The the highest goal being to serve and follow Jesus. Finding our greatest satisfaction in Him. And lastly, lastly, we need to be like Perry. We need to live life out of a new heart. Perry mentioned meeting his donor family. That moment when he got to sit around and look at the people who paid a sacrifice so that this new heart could beat inside of him. The people who lost a son or lost a brother. The father gave up his son. The greatest and most significant sacrifice in history so that we could experience new life. So that we could live with a new heart beating in our chest. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you have come so that we could experience life. Jesus, that your life was given to purchase a new heart to go in our chest today. And many of us, God, we're living those typical lives that are going to have those typical endings. And we don't want that. God, we want the kind of future that only you could write. We want a future that is filled with hope and satisfaction. And God, we want you to be the plot twist in our future. So with nobody stirring right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you a question right now. What kind of future are you headed towards? If you're Life in the present is buying a future. What kind of life are you headed? Are you headed towards a typical future that's filled with just more stress? The overextension so that you could have more. Or are you living a life that's inviting God to come and be the author of your story and to write your future? Maybe today you're the person that says, I, I need to make that change. I need to make the adjustment. I need Jesus to start writing my story because I see where my future is headed and it doesn't look pretty. If that's you today, and you need a plot twist in your future. You need to trust God. Would you raise your hand right now? That's you. Yeah. 
Lots of hands. Anybody else? Anybody else? See those. So God, for those of us that would say today, we desperately need to trust you. We want to see you become the plot twist in our lives. We want you to write the story so that the future is a story that only you could write. God, we invite you to become the author of our story. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.